All right, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be at verses 14 through 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. I'm not going to take time as I did last week to pray for Israel, but I'm going to ask you that you be doing that. This next week's going to be interesting. Kind of struck home to me yesterday. Uh, my grandson was over and he said, uh, Brandon was supposed to be in this Friday. Uh, he's one of our players from last year, and he joined the Navy uh, this summer out of high school. And he was coming in for our biggest game of the year's next Friday night, and he wanted to be there for it. He's up in Chicago area, and he, and he called us on Saturday and said, uh, "Tell Coach I can't be there. They're sending him to the Middle East, right out of boot camp. So we're moving our troops. It looks like big time over there. So." You need to be praying because I'm just aware of some stuff, and it's not a good situation unfolding. So, I'm, I'm, you know, when you know people and you know them in those kind of hardships and ways, it makes it even more real than just watching news on TV. All right, let's get into this today. Verse 15 will be our focal point, and it has to do with diligence. In 1994... I assumed and took over and became the pastor of Village Parkway Baptist Church. I left a, a great situation in the panhandle to go there. And I knew that I was walking into a, a very difficult, extremely difficult situation. Uh, I had a million and a half dollar debt. Your weekly budget here is 30000 My offering at that time for the month was less than 30000 with a $15,000 mortgage payment. Now, those of you who run the finances of the church know that is unbelievably difficult, unbelievably difficult. But I, I thought I knew what a million and a half dollars was until I started paying for it. And then I found out that is a lot of money, an entirely lot of money. I walked into a church that was totally collapsing and there was a wonder it was even still alive. My first year there was not a picnic. It was the most difficult year of my entire life. I took beating after beating, email after email. My first day there, I had a lawsuit filed against the church that I had to deal with on the day I walked in my office that morning. And that just got worse after that. After about one year of that, my kids said, Dad, you missed it. God never said move to San Antonio. I said, he didn't? No, he, they said, he said, take a vacation. I said, well, it's a little late for that now because we're here. I Financially, I, I, cut, I took a salary cut of $15,000. I intentionally did that because I felt God was leading us there. And so now we're not even making ends meet. We had built a house, a small, cheap home there in San Antonio, which you can do. But interest rates had gone up 3 3% by the time I signed and time it was finished. And so we couldn't even hardly afford the new house that we had just bought. And so I had kids in high school. And I finally, one Saturday, I went to my office and I just sat there and I was so down in the dumps. I had done well up to that point and it just wasn't going to work. So I called my dad. And I moaned and groaned and for a good 30 minutes. I said, Dad, I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. I should have stayed in Panhandle, West, at Shallow Water. Life was good. And I went on and on and on 
for those 30 minutes and he just sat and listened. My dad was a high executive manager for DuPont for many years. He was a deacon and Sunday school teacher all of his life. He finally looked at or said to me over the phone, son, why don't you stop for just a moment? You know, son, just a minute ago, you gave me the most innovative approach to ministry I've ever heard. And so I'm sitting there wondering, what have I said that's innovative? All I've been doing is whining. I'm 40 years of age, and all I've done is whine that life's not easy and it's not good. I said, Dad, what did I say that was so innovative? He said, you said you could preach. All you could do is preach and visit. Do you know how innovative that is, son? In fact, son, is that not your job? And I knew he had me at that particular moment. So I just sat there on the phone. He said, son, nobody's stopping you from doing your job. You're the one stopping yourself from doing your job. The pulpit until someday they say you can't have it anymore, but it's yours right now. And you can visit the hospital, and you can visit the sick, and you can do this, and you can check on people. Son, last time I checked, that's your job. Grow up and do your job. If God wants Village to be successful, he will make it successful. And if he doesn't, there's no amount of work you can do that's going to make it work. But God didn't call you to be a success. He called you to be faithful. You know, sometimes we don't like the truth. I was a little frustrated at that point. But eventually I hung up and I just sat there. But my dad was right. So I made a determination that morning that I don't care how rough it got or how difficult it was, I was going to do the job. That's what I'd trained my whole life for. And 30 years later, I am so glad I did not walk away that day. Life worked so amazingly well, it was stunning. I would have never got to see the pain off a million five in the most dramatic of ways. I'd have never started the Life Choices Pregnancy Center that saved thousands of babies. I never got to go to different places in the world that we got to do with missions and everything like y'all do. I got to do things like that. To get to know some of the greatest believers I've ever known in my entire life in the military that would come through that military church by the thousands. I am so glad on that day I did not quit. I've always wondered how many guys have gone to ministry that quit because it got too tough. Because they never lasted long enough to see God really do an amazing work. Things do not work overnight. You don't walk in and snap your fingers and everything's happy and good. Paul's telling Timothy in our letter today, son, this ministry stuff's not an easy thing, but it's a great thing to be a part of. And here's what you need to do in order to make it work. So that's what we're going to see because I think this becomes the center point that now moves in about two weeks. One of the staff members is going to bring a message from a passage in 224 that, or 226 that's going to drive home what a servant should be doing, how each one of us should be living. So if you'll stand with me, I'd like to read the passage this morning. And you'll notice 15 is going to be our focal point. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. Because it's useless and it leads to the ruin of those who are listening. I want you to be diligent 
to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It leads to further ungodliness. And the others, their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some of the people. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of our God stands. And you just sang that a moment ago. The firm foundation of our God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Father, speak to us in a clear way today. Lord, help us to see that every one of us in this room need to make certain that we are fighting a good fight, that we are being diligent in all that you've called us to do in life, walking through the most difficult of situations, keeping our head held high because our feet are firmly planted upon a firm foundation. You know who we are, and you've called us to walk in a certain way. So give us the strength and the ability this day to not only learn from this, but to apply it daily in our lives. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we start with a simple point. The critical element in your walk with Christ is one little word, diligence. Hard work, never quitting. I was raised in a very poor family. We lived in a 15-foot trailer when my brother and I were born. 15 feet. I don't even know how you get them that small, but that's what mom and dad could afford. We lived in government project housing. I grew up eating spam. It's a terrible thing to give to a child. We ate potted meat. We ate that dried beef in a jar. I don't even remember what it's called nowadays, but uh, mom called it chip beef on toast. It wasn't even that good to even call it that. Vienna sausage, potted meat. That's, that was our appetizers because it's all they could afford. Both of them had nothing and they fought their way through life. And when I turned 16, my mom, I came home from school my mom said, get in the car. So I got in the car. She took me to my first job. She'd already gotten it. Didn't even tell me. <laughs> we, were, we were made to work every single day of our lives from the time we turned 16. And there's never been a day I've been unemployed since. And I was never allowed to be sick at work. I was never allowed to call in sick unless I was running above 100 fever and she could prove it with a thermometer. And I was not allowed to spend my money. She took it away after I got paid every week, put it in savings, which I thought was horrific that she would steal money from her own children. Until my end of my senior year, I paid cash for a brand new car out of the showroom floor that was all mine because of the hard work. I, I say all that because I was told, son, work. Nobody owes you anything. You get up and you make it through life. That's what Paul's saying here. When he says, I want you to start being diligent, Timothy, I want you, because of the position you've been given, that you've got to be, and all that means is be eager for your job, be devoted to it, be zealous, take the pains necessary to be what you and I are supposed to be. But this is not just for Timothy, this is for every single one of us in the room. When the writer of the book of Hebrews says, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, you know, what is a, 
amazing about Christianity is that our salvation is there's nothing you and I do to earn our salvation. You know that. You can't be good enough to be able to get into heaven. There's nobody even close to that. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, according to Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and through about 19, gives a description of our human nature that is not good at all. They're none righteous. They're none good. Left to ourselves, none of us would ever make it into heaven. But the amazing thing is that God did all the work. His son went to the cross. He emptied himself of everything he had in heaven, came down, became a bondservant, likeness of a man, walked around with us, went all the way to the cross. At the cross, he died, did exactly what the Father wanted so that you and I could have eternal life. But the eternal life is entering into the rest, the Sabbath rest. It's, it's very important. And you and I have been given that unbelievable gift of life eternal. But you know, when I was growing up, to me, Christianity and the Baptist Church, First Baptist Church Orange, where I grew up, Dr. Cooper Waters, our pastor, that if I walked the aisle, shook the preacher's hand, Sunday next, go to the baptistry, get dunked, come up, and that's it. That's all we do. There's no more that I have to do after that. Follow a couple of the Baptist rules. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. Some of you heard those rules when you were growing up. That's what I thought Christianity was. It's a real shock to me when I got to 20 to find out there's a lot more to it than what I thought about. When you and I enter the rest, writer of book of Hebrews says you've got to be diligent now to be able to walk. You've got to be diligent to be able to move through life. It's just the start. When you've met Christ Jesus, that's just the start to what God wants to unfold within your life. And it's not an easy life. It's a narrow path. It can be difficult at times. Paul will tell Timothy in the third chapter that those who desire to be godly will face difficulties. They will be persecuted. There will be tough times. But what we do is we get up because we now have life. We now have the strength and the ability to be able to live it out. Every one of us in this room had the ability to do that. We have the Spirit of God given to us. We have the Spirit of the Spirit put within our lives. Our eyes have been opened to be able to see and understand what God wants us to have. And so what he says, do now, is get up, live, do it every day. Don't let anybody stop you from being what God's called you to be. You know, I've always wondered, I'd, have, I'd get somebody who had the gift of teaching, they were a good teacher, and I'd, you know, I was being on the staff at times when I was young, Say, could you teach this adult Sunday school class or the youth class or something like that? That was my job as education director. Yeah, I'll do it. And then a few weeks later, <clears throat> they'd come back and say, I'm, I'm quitting. I said, why? Well, somebody said something to me and hurt my feelings, and I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I've always wondered, if God gifted you to do that, why would you let one person stop you from being what you're supposed to be doing? I wondered how many believers have been robbed of the joy because life's not always easy. You know, true happiness comes when you, you walk through life and you go through life and see God at work. I told you when I started my first year how we, we were poor. I got to the point, we'd been there nine months. I told Jan, she, she doesn't like to do the finances, so I've always done the finances. I said, hon, there's no way we get through September. We don't have any more money. I, 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 don't, I, I have nothing. We have nothing coming in. 
We got our first big payment due on the house. It had just been finished. I'm beginning to think we made a huge mistake. She said, how much do we need? I said, we only made, uh, I think, 39000 at the time. I said, I need $5,000. She said, call your dad. My dad is wealthy. I said, I'm not going to do that. I can't. I won't do that. I said, let win. So we said a prayer. Lord, help us. I went to church that Sunday. One of the deacons walked up and said, Steve, somebody wrote a check to you, and I'm here, and you keep it. So I put it in my pocket, got home, opened it up. Jan, it's 5000 I was stunned. Paid our bills. I didn't do anything frivolous with the 5000 It went out the door immediately, but it got us. You know what I've learned by going through all those hardships the first couple years? My God always provides. Always. I never fret money ever again since. That was one of the best lessons I ever learned. Sometimes we need to walk through the difficulties of life because God needs us to walk with diligence. Not quit. Keep going. He doesn't always fulfill his promises on your time schedule or my time schedule. He always does it on his. And again, I keep wondering how many people over the years have quit a day too soon. I've been there. I know what it is to want to quit the day before you see God do something great. But I've been doing this a long time now. And it's been amazing to watch how God provides and blesses. You know, I kept praying every day for a million dollars. When you know, I'm serious, not for me, for the church. We're a million five in a hole. When we hit a million, Lord, please provide that million dollars. You know, he never answered that prayer. I called the church that sponsored it, Castle Hills First Baptist, a great church in San Antonio. I said, Dr. Harris, do you have any advice for a guy who has no money and has a debt? Yeah, just come to our staff meetings, listen to us, and you'll get through it. I said, thanks, no thanks. I don't have time to sit in a staff meeting you know, I wouldn't trade the moments now because I saw God do that in the most dramatic way. He never gave me the big checks until at the last little bit. And I saw him pay it off. We had a, we had a friend of mine who's on, one of my best friends this day. We had a thing going debt-free in 2003. Debt-free in 2003. I called him in April of 2003. We were shooting for November, uh, and we owed a half a million or so or or, or 350000 I can't remember the exact number, but somebody gave me a check that day for the whole amount, the last little bit. And I called Ron and said, Ron, it happened. He called me back later, we're a 1000 short, but he said, I covered it. it you, you, you don't know the joy that comes from when you hang in there and just keep being faithful. That's what we're called to do. See, there are no shortcuts to success. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word diligent, you know what else, other ways you can interpret it? Gold. You and I think if you just give us a lot of gold, a lot of money, we could handle life. No, the real gold in life is not the monetary. It's diligence, hard work. And we're able to do that because we've been gifted by God to be able to do that. Christian McCaffrey, that's a name cowboy fans don't like after last week. You ought to get to know who this kid is. They had an article about him recently. 
I've been following this kid for a while because I've been, I've been amazed by what I've known about him. The writer of the article said it's his work ethic. There's, it's never going to change. It stems from meeting his dad and meeting his mom. It stems uh, from that, from him growing up and being raised that way. He's just got a great work ethic, and it just brings the rest of the team up to a level that you can't even begin to imagine. And they ask him, where does your work ethic come from? He said, it comes from my faith. He said, my faith is very important to me, and that's why I'm praying at all times, he told the Chronicle. When you have a bunch of people chanting your name in the stands, it's important that you give honor and glory back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I'm on the field, I pray every play. When I score, I give God glory in my prayer as I'm walking off the field. I want God to be glorified, not Christian McCaffrey. When you see me take the field, I'm praying, and I'm praying because what I want is I want him to look down, and I know when I'm praying he's not going to bless me to win a football game, but when I do score a touchdown, even if I don't score a touchdown, I just want God to look down and see I did the absolute best that I could ever do on the field at that particular moment. And I read that, and I went, that's what God wants from you, me and you. We won't be on the field in front of thousands. We walk quietly through life, but he wants to look down because of this diligence in verse 15 in order to see that you're willing to do the best you can raising your kids, going to work, teaching school, being a student every single day. Not so you become noticed by everybody else, but, but you honor God by doing that. That's what Paul's calling Timothy to do. You and I, we studied this back last year. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Now what we need to do is endure through life, letting those blessings flow through our lives and being what God's called us to be. But then that raises this question. Why do I need endurance and diligence? If we have the gift of life, why do we need to do anything else? What's the big deal? Well, look at verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God. You're going to present yourself to God. You're going to stand before him and give an account of what's gone on in your life. Paul told the church at Corinth, we must all. The word must in the Greek is the word die of moral necessity. It's a moral necessity that every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Whether, whether, no matter what he's done, whether it's good or bad, you and I will be recompensed. It will be given back how we've handled all of that we've been given. In fact, Paul told the church at Rome, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You and I, as real as me standing before you today, there will be a day in the future that you and I will stand by ourselves before God. You're not going to escape that. Scripture is very, very clear about that. How do you want to stand you want to stand approved. But what's the word approved mean? It means you've been tested. It means you've been found worthy. Diligence is what gets me ready for judgment. I face whatever God brings my way. Good, difficult. Unbelievable blessings. Horrific tragedies. I walk through that. By God's grace, by his strength through Christ Jesus, I walk through that and I am still standing. 
I have been tested. I have been found worthy through the test. But what you don't realize is you become even stronger for the days that follow thereafter. Days in which your faith grows a little bit stronger and your confidence in God grows even more. And that's what he's called us to do. You're going to stand before God and we want to stand approved. James says, the brother of Jesus, for once you have been approved, you'll receive the crown of life which the Lord promises to those who love him. So who are the ones who get approved? Who are the ones who get tested? If you'll notice verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Workman. The one who does something. The one who's engaged in. You'll remember from our study of Ephesians that Paul said to the church at Ephesus in the second chapter in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now walk in them, he says. You will stand before God approved because you were a workman. You did what God called you to do. You lived your life as he asked you to live it. You know, I was watching a movie last night. My grandkids were all over and they were watching some little thing on Netflix for little kids. And so I went to, to my bedroom, turned the TV on and, and watched an old movie from about 2000 on a, on a it's called uh, The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. It's an interesting movie. And stuff. everything's by chance, except some designer above you is directing a little bit, and he gets it right, he gets it wrong. It, it really, at the end, it was an interesting movie, but at the end, the, the philosophy of it was terrible. It was, it was a, a very bad philosophy of life. Well, I want you to know something. Our God is in control. He is accomplishing what needs to be done. Nobody thwarts his way or his will. He is at work in your life. He has given purposes to what you're to do. And you walk in them. You workmen. You do your job. You walk through life because that's where God has placed you. Because what you want to do is, is you want to stand before God with no shame, no disgrace. You remember the parable of the talents? The one had five, what did he do? Went out, worked it, doubled it, got ten. The one had two, went out, what did he do? He worked it, got four. One had one, what did he do? Buried it, afraid he might lose it, scared to go forward. What did God do? And it's been the parable, took it away. See, God has given each one of us different things in life for us to take and use them to his glory. And when you do that, God will bless that. You'll see it blessed even with more than that. But if you don't, you're going to stand before him. He's going to say, after all I've done, this is all you did? After all I have blessed you with, you did nothing? You, you, you didn't handle it? You folded under the pressure? You gave up? You quit? See, I don't know about you. I want to stand before God with no shame. I want to be able to, when he comes... And if we're entering the last days, I, I see on, on Twitter, so it has to be true that we're in the final days. We may or may not be, but let's say we are. When he comes, I want to lift my high, head and be ready. How do I do that? Live today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. I live for his kingdom and his glory. How do I do that? I do that by, by being faithful in the responsibilities he's given me. I do that by loving my, my, my wife, Jan. I do that by loving my kids, Stephanie, 
Jonathan and Mark. I do that by loving my eight grandkids. I do that by encountering and helping those around me. I just live my life like I've been doing for 70 years. I get up and I live that way every single day. At 70, I don't not sit in a chair and hope that life just passes on and I get to retire and just be totally quiet and do absolutely nothing but sit in a chair. I don't want to live that way. I want to be able to live like my mom did, that when she died at 70, she was going full blast until the week before she died. I want to live like Jimmy, Jan's dad, at the age of 96, going full blast until the day before he died. That's what God's called us to do, so that when we stand before him and say, thank you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You live life. That takes diligence, hard work. But we've been gifted the ability to be his workmen, and we can do what he's called us to do, and we can impact lives. You ever heard the names Joshua and Caleb? Two interesting men. What had happened if Joshua and Caleb, coming back with the other spies, and remember those are part of the 12 spies that were sent into, into Israel to look at and see what was going. Ten of them came back and said what? We can't do it. There are giants in the land, and that's literally true. Men of huge stature was in the land. Part of the Nephilims and, and some of the other stuff that was going on. And they saw that, and it scared them to death. But what did Joshua and Caleb do? They came back and said, you know what our God said? Our God has given us, and our God will do it. They didn't go because the rest of the people didn't want to go. But Caleb quoted was quoted before the people, or quieted the people before Moses. He says, we should by all means go and take possession of it because we will overcome. And it didn't happen. But Joshua and Caleb stayed faithful. Joshua and Caleb got to see God do amazing things later on. Why? Because they wanted to stand before their God, living their lives fully and completely. But that leads me to the last point this morning. The question now is, how do I get ready to be in his presence? How do I be on alert so when all this happens? Well, verse 15 tells you, be diligent, present yourself, approve to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. You have to know the word of God, and you have to live the word of God. You have to handle accurately God's word. The word handled accurately means to cut a straight line. Just a straight line. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. It's the present active, and it means this. Every day I get up and I cut a straight line with the Word of God. He will later say in this letter that all Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be adequate, which means you're always just good enough for whatever he's called you to be. Too often I've heard believers say, I'm just not certain I can do this. If God's called you, you're adequate. One guy told me one time, I don't want to just be adequate. You know why you're adequate? You're just adequate for whatever God's called you to do? So that you'll not get the glory, but he will. But you are good enough to be able to do that by his grace and mercy. And you've been equipped, it said, with everything you need. Where does that come from? from the Word of God. What Paul's telling Timothy earlier is, son, I need you to accurately handle it, which means this, you better know God's Word well. There is absolutely no excuse today for the knowing of the Word of God. 
I have on this iPad 7,000 books. I have my entire library has been digitized and is on here. So wherever I go, I carry that. I can literally, if you ask me a question, I can search it and I can go through all 7,000 books, pull up what I need, and it's right there. You have your phones. You may not have 7,000 books, but I guarantee you have 10 or 15 translations of the Bible in English somewhere on your phone right now, or you should. Used to, people would take their Bibles up to, in the military would take them, put them on their desks, and they would glance, my guys would glance at it and read it during the day when they had time. It later became a problem, and they had to remove them from their desk. You want to know something? Nobody can remove your phone from your desk. Nobody can remove God's Word from being right there in front of you. Most of the time, we don't ever look at it much because it's just not that important to us except maybe on Sunday morning when we come. Guys, I'm not challenging you this because you need to be a preacher or anything else. I'm challenging you to do this because God is speaking to us through his word, and he just wants to remind you of things that you need to know so you can be the kind of men and women he's called you to be. You want to handle accurately God's truth, which means you need to know it so you can handle accurately, biblically, what the truth of God is about. But also handling it accurately means I live it out. I live through what he's called me to do. You know, I used Joshua a moment ago. Well, when Joshua is getting ready to enter the promised land, God speaks to him. And he says this to Joshua, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous. And I want you to be careful to do according to all the law. I want you to be careful to do according to all the law. It means his steps as he entered the promised land, leading the people. He needed to give good leadership, but he did that by knowing exactly what was in the law of God. That charge, in a sense, has not changed for us at all. You need to be careful every day that you're following what God's law says. And then he tells Joshua this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all is written in it. And when, when you do that, it will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. Paul's telling Timothy here the same thing. Son, I want you to be ready. I want you to work hard. I want you to be a workman who will stand before me and give good account of your life because you're handling accurately the law, the truth, of who Christ is in you. You're walking the way he's called you to walk. It's a similar thing that Paul told the church at Ephesus whenever he said to them, I want you to stand firm in Ephesians 6.14, and then he says it in the exact words next. He says it twice. Stand firm, stand firm. It's in verses 13 and 14, separated by numbers in our Bible, but in the Greek it's one continuous thing. Stand firm, stand firm. That's diligence. Why? Because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we have God's Word. We stand firm. Nothing shakes us in life. Now let me go back to Caleb. I love what Caleb said. In fact, one of my staff members... Doug Brinson, Caleb was his hero. He was military, uh, special forces, Vietnam, and he wanted to be Caleb. And I think he may make it. And exactly what Caleb said here. Here's what Caleb said. Now behold, the Lord has let me live. Just as he spoke. These 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel was in the wilderness, and now Behold, 
I'm 85. I'm 85 years of age. And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day which Moses spoke. My strength was then, my strength is now. I can go out and I can come in. Some of the greatest blessings came to Caleb at the end of his life. You know why? When he faced the difficulty of the ten spies not wanting to do it, and only two wanted to go forward, and they don't go forward, and they stay in the wilderness for the length of time they did. He stayed faithful all the way through that. And when it was said and done, he walked in the promised land. He got land for his kids. It worked for him. Why? Because he stayed faithful. That's what we've been called to do. That's what this passage is about. That you and I get up, and we're going to live fully every day. Nothing's going to stop us. The diligence will be a part of who we are. We work hard at everything that we do. We give the very best we possibly can every single day of our life. We roll out of bed even when we don't feel like it. We get up and do our responsibilities. If we have promised our word to somebody, we follow through that. And we take care of everything around us. And we keep going forward every day. We gather on Sundays. We worship together. We praise our Lord together. We study together. We learn truths. But we walk back out of there. And we're going to be workmen. We're going to be diligent. And we're going to do it according to his word. And when we do that, God will richly bless us. And I'll remind you this as I close. Jesus said, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. This passage is the voice of our Lord to us through Paul. If you're his sheep, you know what this truth is about. And you know that it's something important. John, Jesus said in John, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. You will do as God's called you to do. You follow the voice. And I will give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That's where I want to wrap down. I think what causes us to lose diligence is that life sometimes is so hard that after a while we're just ready to give up. A couple weeks ago, my secretary and her husband called and said, would you want to go see the Longhorns play Baylor? And we have season tickets to the Baylor games this year and their son goes there and I said oh yes please yes thank you so we went he's a retired colonel he's been retired about four or five years and we were talking about the military and what's been going on and stuff that's involved nowadays and he was very successful extremely successful he had had made general but uh, health issues caused him to be retired so he stepped out after about 25 years of serving and so we were talking and he's he said, I'm so glad I got out. I used to think I was doing some good and working hard. I was making things happen. But I look back on life. I wasted my time in the military. I did. There's nothing good came of anything we did all these years. He was in Afghanistan. He was in Black Hawk Downs. He is, was really down. and So we didn't even watch about 10 minutes of the game because I'm sitting there talking with him. Uh, God's at work in your life. You did do good things, and God will bless that. But he was struggling. I understand the struggle. We've all been there. I was there when I was 40 years of age thinking it was a waste of time. It's not never a waste of time to walk where God's taken us, go through the hardships, and to see him do that. 
That's why I like, and I appreciate the songs that were picked today. Verse 19, remember something, the firm foundation of God stands. You sang that a moment ago. The firm foundation stands. You said, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Do you believe it? I mean, we can sing stuff, but did you believe that truth when you sang it? Did you just sing it because they were directing us to sing it, or do you sing it out of your understanding God's presence within your lives? It's a firm foundation, and that firm foundation is the Lord knows who are His. He knows you, He knows your name, and He's going to get you through. Nobody can take you out of His hand. You're going to make it to the finish, and everything He does in and through you will accomplish His good will and good pleasure. And one day you'll stand before Him and He'll say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why Paul says at the end of this letter, I fought a good fight. I didn't quit. I kept going. I accomplished what God wanted in my life. You know, you want to try to find happiness? Find it by being faithful to Him. And He will bring you joy because you will have known that He is faithful to His Word. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. We thank you for Paul writing to Timothy, helping this young man get ready for what you were going to do in his life. And we're given the privilege to be able to sit in and listen to those words and reflect upon them and to think because they were words that have been applied to us also. We have different callings than what Timothy had, but we all have a calling and we all have a purpose. And we're all part of the body of Christ who are in Christ Jesus. And you want to use us. And you want to bring joy within our lives. You need us to be diligent according to your word. To be like Caleb. To be like Joshua. That no matter what everybody else does, they stayed faithful. And when it got to the end of their lives, that's why Joshua was able to say at the end of his life, as for me and my house, we will continue to follow the Lord. Because he had learned that following the Lord is the greatest thing you can ever accomplish in life. So help us, Father, as we strive to be the kind of men and women that you've called us to be. And give us that spirit of never quitting, but working hard every single day to bring you honor and glory. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.